0: Well, I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. One of the things that we do here at Daniel's Bible Church is we study the Word. We study the Word of God. We come together corporately and uh, and just move through passages so that we can understand. We're looking for authorial intent. What what did what was the author's intent when he wrote? And so we. We study these things out. That means we have to think. Sometimes we don't like to think, but we have to think. It forces us to, to think and use our minds. So, we'll do that today. Genesis chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 20. Now, the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken so he drove the man out of out at the east of the Garden of Eden and stationed a cherubim and the flaming sword which turns every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word, how precious it is to our life. I pray that it guides us today we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the first things that you notice in this passage that we just read here, there's three things that happen. First of all, Adam names his wife. Uh, God then clothes them. And then you have that he blocks them from the tree of life. Now, it seems to be just random things that are happening here. And you think, why, why would Moses even give us these things? But we find that they have a purpose. They have a plan. We're looking for Moses' intent. What was the intent here? But this is a transition, if you remember. This is a transition moving from Adam and Eve having uh, sinned before God. Discovered in their sinfulness. And now they're being pushed out. Pushed out of the garden. Gone out kind of on their own to a, a, a sinful world. So you would see it as... Kind of a a transition, if you will. A transition from Garden of Eden to the world. To outside the Garden of Eden. And these three random events here are three random things. What they do is they expose Adam and Eve and, and their mindset. What they're thinking or what's going on in this transition. And there's some things that are going on there that, that the Lord, I think, is preparing their heart, preparing them to, to move into this new world that they've kind of caused themselves. And we see their attitude going forth. An attitude, basically, in a world that has gone wrong it is not the way it's intended to be. This is kind of making the best out of a bad situation and these these are attitudes i think that will serve them well they're kind of like tools now we need the right tools for the right job right if you are going into surgery you want your surgeon to have the best tools if you even just a mechanic working on your car you want them to have the best tools if we're working on have a weekend project that we're working on we need the right tools that makes the job go easier um if you don't have the right tools, a lot of times you mess things up. You just struggle and it just becomes a fiasco. If you're like me, it even makes things worse because you generally don't have the right tools. And you just whatever you could find, you just kind of use that as a tool and, and you really make things worse. But you have to have tools. And what we see here is these attitudes, certain thinking that Adam and Eve is going to have going into this new world that's going to serve them. That they're like... Tools in this in the, this new environment that they're going to be in. <clears throat> now, Adam and Eve had sinned before the Lord. They rebelled against God when they were confronted with their sins. Uh, they were questioned by God, and and they denied. They blamed, shifted. They uh, blamed each other, blamed the circumstances, and then God punished them. Formally punished them. And there was a few things that that he. Uh, Said, "Here's what's going to happen. Here's your punishment." But also, what we see is, is his pointing out uh, the natural consequences of their sin, and he was just gracious and allowing sin. This is what's going to happen. And the uh, first is that the earth is going to be cursed. Adam is going to have to work hard by the sweat of his face just to provide for his family. Eve is going to be, have pain in childbirth. And every time that she gives birth, it's going to be a reminder that she had birthed sin into this world and, and every woman that passes that uh that passes that to that new baby, a new sin nature. Or that sin nature is passed on from generation to generation. And always death is looming in this new environment. It's looming. In fact, there, Adam and Eve now are on a, a death march. They died. Uh, spiritually that day They they will die physically They begin to decay And die sp- physically And if the Lord doesn't step in They will die eternally as well Also what we see We saw this last week That the Lord pulls back the curtains And He informs us Of this spiritual warfare that's going on Spiritual battle that's going to last Thousands of years And it's essentially good versus evil And you have righteousness versus unrighteousness. You have God's people versus the people of Satan. And so this is a a battle that's going to be going on in the spiritual realm. And in fact, if God doesn't intervene in every generation with a godly seed, we saw this last week, then Satan is going to have full control. And sin will run rampant. But God promised he would interject and he will raise up a godly seed. A godly seed. And through that, there's going to be a Savior that's going to be born. We saw that last week. Now, to those who are in a perfect environment, like Adam and Eve, perfect environment. Think about that. Garden of Eden. No sin. Wonderful environment. This is going to be a huge adjustment going into... A world, essentially, of, of sin and hurt. They've unleashed into this world sin, a great enemy, and rebellion against God. Now the earth is is cursed because of them. It's not going to produce. It's going to be difficult. Life is going to be hard for them. There's a, an adjustment that's going to have to be made from Adam, uh, for Adam and Eve. And what they'll find, and they already see this, that... Sin is deceitful. It promises one thing. It promises delight. But it delivers death. Sin creates, on top of that, it creates a, a whole environment, if you will. Uh, just think about sin in a sinful environment. That's all we know, folks. We never knew the garden. But, but there's, sin has created this sinful environment and That man is not designed to live in. Man is not designed. There's a a a, a corrupt nature that man has now, and and he feels comfortable in his sin, and he has adjusted to sin. Because sin is sin enslaves us. It, It humiliates us. It drains us of our energy. It it shames us and robs us of peace and rest. Uh, there's no grace found in sin. It causes doubts and confusion and, and suspicion and pride. It pushes for us to, to maintain control. We have to have control and force and, and domination and selfishness. That's what sin, that's the environment that sin causes us to live in. In fact, it, it strikes us blind to our own faults, and we don't even know it most of the time, and it weighs us down with guilt, defiles us, and it produces anxiety within us, and, and it's essentially the source of our frustration most of the time. And it stills our joy, produces a, a pride and a selfishness in us that, that, uh, that causes uh, tension in every relationship that we have. It's a life of death. It's a life, an environment of death. In fact, the proverb, uh, Solomon says that there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. He says that the way of the wicked is a hedge of thorns. It's difficult. Difficult to get through. And believers, this godly seed that God raises up, they have a hard time in that environment. And they want to change, they want to get out of that environment. In fact, God places within them a hunger and thirst for righteousness. They have a drive for righteousness, this godly seed does. They will feel completely uncomfortable in a, an, an atmosphere of just sinfulness. And they will, they will kind of come out of that, if you will. You cannot fix your eyes upon a perfect and holy God and still live in your sinfulness you just can 't do that it 's too convicting to the own, to your own heart you can 't stay in that kind of environment but many times 're we 're unaware of our sinfulness We, we kind of get used to our environment, and the lowest kind of common denominator. If you will, of, of sinfulness, sinful environment, and I think that it takes the Lord exposing us to our own sinfulness before we really even see it. every once in a while we get a glimpse of our own sinfulness, not, not a glimpse of everybody else 's sinfulness or the, the sinfulness of the of the world. We can see what 's going on in the middle east there just a, a war, and you just see. You see, a selfish man is just attacking. You see, and it's easy for us to label him. Oh, oh that's sinful. But but we fail to see the sin in our own heart. And, and so I think the Lord exposes us. Every once in a while, we get a glimpse of our own filthiness. Those moments of, of clarity where the Lord just <clears throat> confronts us with our own sin. He confronts us with the truth and reality of His holiness. And we... We look at ourselves and we think how unclean, how desperately wicked we are, and I think that's where Paul was in Romans chapter seven. And the principle there is that the closer you get to God, the more uh, you see of your, uh, the more you see of His holiness. That you see your your own unholiness. I think that's what Paul was trying to describe in Romans chapter seven. Jeremiah he described it. Uh, uh, in, in Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, he said that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can know it? Who can understand it, he says. But I think the best description is, is really found in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, and the prophet Isaiah was sent to Israel to, to confront them of their sin, and he spends the first five chapters doing that. In chapter one in verse four he, he lays it out he says Alas sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offsprings of evil doers, sons of sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord, they have despised the holy one of Israel, they have turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head. And there is nothing sound in it. You, only bruises and welts and, and raw wounds. Not pressed out or bandaged or softened with oil. Just raw, open sores. That's the way you sing sinfulness. And, it, and it's just covering the whole person. What a description. He goes on to to talk about their worship. Even their worship is corrupt in uh, the remainder of chapter 1. You say, well, how did Isaiah get to this point that he, he saw his own sinfulness? And you see this, he explains it in uh, chapter 6. I think that's on the board there. Chapter 6, he says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on A throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. I saw the Lord in all of his glory. I saw the Lord in his holiness, in his righteousness. Just a a glimpse of God. And then what was his reaction? We see it in verse 5. Then I saw, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a, a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I saw Him. And I saw Him in His glory. In His holiness. And then I look at myself. And I see the the sinfulness. The sinfulness. Even of His own lips. Just the words that He says. Now that's a, a pretty good description of our sinfulness, and we get that description, we get that glimpse of our sinfulness when we look at a holy and righteous God. But I'm afraid most of the time we're we're not like that. We we just kind of fit in. We're kind of like fish who don't know that they're wet. They they, they live in a, a certain environment. They 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 really don't even realize it. They just. They feel comfortable in the water. And I think that's the way we are. We just feel comfortable. We feel comfortable in our own sinfulness. We we like the status quo. Don't get too holy because you'll make me feel bad. And our standards are are pretty low. But as Christians, our standards are much higher. Because we look at a righteous and, and holy God. And inside us, God has put a drive for righteousness and essentially, folks, we're fish out of water. We don't, we don't really belong in this environment. And the more we know of God and His Word and His truth, the more we expose to these things, we see our own sinfulness and we want to come out of that. We want to, we want to uh, do something about that sinfulness. And let me, let me show you the pro- progress here, the progression. I think we have it on the, on the screen there's a progression here that I've just noticed in my own life, but you kind of see it in Scripture as well. First of all, we kind of start comparing ourselves with, with everybody else. Well, I'm not too bad. That's kind of the that's in the, the fish uh, in the fish bowl. I mean, I'm the same as, as him, and maybe we compare ourselves with other Christians. We're not too bad. We look at ourselves and we think, oh, not too bad. And then we look at Scripture and we we think, man, well, as a father, I'm supposed to do this. As a parent, I'm supposed to do that. As a co-worker or a worker. An employer, an employee, I'm supposed to do this. As a man, I need to do this. As a citizen, I I need to do this. As a son or son-in-law, I need to do this. As a neighbor, I need to do that. And we begin to realize that God has demands on our life that we need to raise up the, the bar a little bit of our responsibilities. And anything less than this is sin. And then you have Israel. Israel Receives the Ten Commandments, the moral law, and and they look at that moral law and think, hmm. Well, I'm pretty good. I I don't kill. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. I don't worship other gods. I, I'm a pretty good person. And they compare themselves with the law. And you have a young man coming to Christ and say, Hey, I'm a good person. I've kept all of these commandments all my whole my whole life. But then Christ comes along and says, Wait a second. You're missing the whole point. You've got to get down to the heart level. The heart level. And he says in Matthew 5, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's the heart level. If you are angry with your brother, you've already committed sin in your own heart. Murder, he says, in your own heart. So It, it uh, raises the bar a little higher. The, the standard has to go a little higher, even to the heart level. And then Paul comes along and he reminds us of the mandate of loving our neighbor as ourself. And and he gives us a description of love. And love is patient. Love is kind and not jealous. And it doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. And the standard just raises a little bit more even to the very motivations of our heart are impure. Exposes the sinful heart. And again, we look at other people, oh, we can compare. Oh, I'm not too bad, not too bad. We understand even the motivations of our heart, though, are impure many times. Even in doing good. But on top of that, then, we are told that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And He is producing in us the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and And goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's an environment of of grace in our lives. And and graciousness toward other people. And let me say, anything less than this is sin. And the bar is raised a lot higher. But here's the deal. We tend to ignore this part. We tend to ignore that because and we by this time by the time we get to this level, we just kind of we just kind of give up and, and we say, nobody can measure up that way, uh, to that uh, there there's no way, surely God doesn't expect us to to get to that level. I mean especially he knows how hard life is, surely he wouldn't expect us to to be holy, oh but he does he does. We are to be holy as He is holy. We see God in His holiness. We see God's holy standard. We hear the truth of God's Word and our hearts are convicted. And we can't stay in this environment and we've got to get out. This is sinful. sinful. It's just the opposite of Adam and Eve. They're coming from a, a perfect world. They saw the glory of God. They were with God. And now they're coming out. They're, they're losing that glory and going into a completely different world, a world of sin, completely different kind of environment. That's what's going on here. They're moving from holiness to a sinful world. They've rejected God, rebelled against God, and now they are, they are suffering the consequences. So these last few verses of chapter 3 kind of expose their heart. They are expose what's going on here and expose that transition, that preparation going into this sinful world. And this is a huge transition, a huge adjustment for them. Because sin affects everything, every relationship. It affects their work. It affects their relationship with God. It affects everything. Now, here's the deal, and here's what I want you to see. That it produces within us this sinful environment produces within us a, a very shallow life a shallow life an environment folks that will send us into a tailspin of despair despondency and helplessness that's what sin does so what do we do about that i think what you see is in this uh, in these three little three little uh elements here, you're gonna answer, it's gonna answer the question is what do you do in that situation? What do you do in that sinful environment? How is Adam and Eve going to survive? There's three little principles here. We'll move through them quickly that I think you'll find helpful in your Christian life. The first one we see in verse 20 in verse 20 now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Now the first thing you notice here is there's a transformation with Adam. Remember before, Adam was denying his sin, he was blaming his wife, and now with the authority by, by God, by the, uh, creation order, he, he, he puts a name on his wife. He names her. I think that's a wonderful thing. But we see a transformation of his own heart. It just in this, we we see hope there, and that's the key. It's it's hope. One who moves uh, to faith, and that's what Adam was doing here. He was he was putting his hope based upon the promise of God. Remember, God said, "I will raise up a godly seed." That that gave Adam hope, and so Adam. He somehow was uh, softened in his heart, maybe by the grace of God, or maybe by seeing his own sinfulness, but he was broken. And now we see hope there. A completely different attitude toward himself, toward God, toward Eve, probably toward Satan as well. So you have hope. You have hope here. A a glimmer of hope. And, And that hope is based upon the promise of God the second thing that hope is you see that by the naming of his his wife Eve the mother of all the living the mother of all the living god's based upon god's promise there's going to be offspring and, and there's going to be life she is a the word living there's life giver literally translated Because she's going to play that role of of giving life, giving birth. It's not just a a feminine thing. This is a a spiritual element as well. Because there's a stigma that it's going to be tied to Eve. That she was the one that brought sin into the world. What you don't see here is him naming her big failure. Right? Right? Or sin started here, or uh, she's the reason you're suffering. How about that one? Or mother of death? Yeah, no, there's no sarcasm here. She is the mother. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna change that stigma, and we're gonna she, we're gonna call her the mother of all the living, the living. That's hope, folks. Hope based upon the the promise of God that I will raise up a godly seed, a godly generation, and a savior ultimately. And so Adam was basing uh, his hope upon what God said, God's word. Now, this is a, a hard verse for Christian evolutionists here. Because Eve is the mother of all living. There is nothing before that. She is the mother of all living. I'll let you... Think through that one yourself. But you see, hope. Hope upon the promise of God that someday things will change. There's a redeemer going to come. Now, one of the first things that Adam and Eve's gonna face is what? Two sons. And one's gonna kill the other. They're gonna need hope. We need hope today, folks. Second Timothy Second Peter, you see it on the screen, second Peter chapter three, verse. It says, but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens, for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, can you imagine the heart of of Adam? Lord, produce this. We need a, a place where righteousness dwells. Adam is going out into a sinful world. Righteousness does not dwell there. We're reminded of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 says, because this is an element of faith, I believe, it's, it's hope in the Lord's promises. It says that we are to um, the believer believe that He is, we are to believe that He is, and the rewarder of those who seek Him. That's what we hope in. We're, we're seeking after Him, and we know that He's the rewarder, and it's our faith. There's, there's hope here. Believers... Believers need this hope. There's an attitude here. An attitude change that you see in Adam. He's going to go into this new world. But he's got hope. Hope that God's going to change things. God someday is going to produce a heaven on earth. That's what we look forward to. Glory. Now, Nate Busnitz, in his book, just called Hope. It's a wonderful book. I would recommend it. He reminds us of a few things. I want to... Pull those onto the screen here. Number one, heaven is a real place, folks. (laughs) Heaven is a real place. It's a reality. And we need to live in that that reality. It drives us. It gives us purpose when we know that heaven is a real place. Number two, heaven is part of our inheritance. That's part of our inheritance. Our whole value system is is there. We inherit that. This is just... This is just temporary stuff here. That's not, this isn't our inheritance. That's our inheritance. And Christ said we need to send it on ahead. We we place our, our treasures, we treasure up there in heaven. Number three goes on to say heaven is where our Savior is. That's where we really value. That's our hope. That's where our Savior is that's the person that we serve all of our emphasis of life comes from him he is our king we are part of his kingdom we serve him he's the one's calling the shots number 4 heaven is designed for eternity that causes us to detach ourselves from this earth that causes us to to look forward to eternity. This is temporary. That's eternity. That's going to be forever. There's a lot more time going to be spent in eternity. That changes our everything. This world is so temporary. It's so temporary. We we can't we can't put so much emphasis here on this earth. We need to detach ourselves. Number four and I, number five and I love this. Heaven is not hell. <laughs> This is the obvious, right? But where would you like to spend eternity? Heaven or hell? We don't want to spend eternity in hell. We're going to spend eternity in heaven. That's where righteousness dwells, and that's what our hearts yearn for. So what? That means we are thankful. Thankful for what? Someday we will live in that reality. So Adam, he's he's looking forward to redemption, for eternal life, for, for glory to be returned for him. Now, just a point of application. There's a this attitude of hope. And we're talking about this in Sunday school. I'd encourage you to come to our Sunday school class. But this attitude of hope that's in us, it will always, always, always be seen. You're going to see it. And so in Adam's life, that hope is reflected in his naming his wife, Eve, the mother of all living. There's a a element of hope there. Hope will always be seen so much so that the world's going to see your life. And they're going to say, where did you get that hope? Now, I have to ask the question, my own self and your your life. When people look at your life, what do they see? Do they see hope? Hope is going to show up in the life somewhere. If it's there, where does your hope come from? Do they see love and and graciousness and joy and peace? Or do they see just the opposite? Just like the world, do they see anxiety and fear and bitterness and maybe hatred? And those things that come out of sin, weighed down with guilt. What do they see when they look at your life? I hope they see hope. Adam, Adam's going to live nine hundred years. He better have hope. Number two, look back at verse 30, back to Genesis three, verse twenty-one. You see another thing that they're going to need here. Verse twenty-one says, "The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. clothed them. He he, he covers." Them, he clothed them. He he takes pains in doing so to cover up their nakedness. Now, not because they were not because they were um, uh, because they were cold, or not because they they needed the warmth and the shelter. No, it was because of their immodesty. They were this is modesty here. The sin had produced those shameful thoughts and exposed them and and so they needed that that covering that covering of their reminder of their own sinfulness. This is a gracious act of God. God took the initiative here and he is clothing them. Those fig leaves just didn't cut it, right? So he had to he had to clothe them. And shame is completely appropriate in our nakedness. We needed to be clothed. We need to be clothed because we're sinful, and we know that. But notice what happens. He says that he the garments of skin. That's animal skin, animal skin. So the first death in this new world was not Adam and Eve, but it was an, an animal, an animal, some animal. We don't know what it was. It could have been a couple of, of lambs, sheep. But he he kills them. Now he could—he's a smart God, right? He could have just used the wool. He knows how to do that. There's a, a lesson that he is teaching them. They watched him as he as he cut. They, they saw that blood being poured out. They they saw the the animal skins that they were wearing. They 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 realized that something had to die for them to be covered, covered, and and you know that brought grief to their own heart. That that their sin caused this. It was the result of their own sinfulness. And and God had to kill. And of course, God is teaching them a spiritual idea, a spiritual lesson. It's it's the lesson of atonement. That something has to die. Blood has to be shed here for our sins to be covered. Now this is just a, a picture. Just a picture, just a type. Just kind of an illustration. But it's the first one that we see in in the whole of scripture let me show you let me show you this in leviticus chapter 17 uh i believe i have the yeah it's on the screen there verse 7 verse 11 says for the life of the flesh is in the blood and i will give it to you on the altar to make all, um to make atonement for your souls that that shed blood for it is the blood blood again emphasized by reason of the life that makes atonement. You have to have the shed blood for atonement. Atonement is the covering for sin. In Hebrews. Hebrews uh, is such a such a clear passage on this. Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. Says this. And according to the law. One may almost say all things. Are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin. This is an object lesson. He could have used wool. But he killed this animal. For the skin. So that he can show them. Now here's what's to come. That's a temporary thing. This clothing. But look at chapter uh, Hebrews 10 verse 3. For in those sacrifices... There is a reminder of sin year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and the goats to take away sin. Those are temporary. They really didn't do anything. They eased our conscience, eased Israel's conscience when they would do this, because they would see the shed blood and they would, they would see, OK, my blood is is covered my blood is at least temporarily covered. But they were always looking for the final sacrifice. And that's what we see in chapter 10 and verse, verse 11. Chapter 10 and verse 11. Well, let me read verse 10. By this will have been, have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's the sacrifice that we're waiting on. That's the that's the, the picture. Or that's the, the reality of all of the types that we see in Scripture. Of a, a perfect atonement. Verse 11 he says. Every priest stands daily. Ministering and offering time after time. The, sac- the same sacrifice. Which can never take away sin. But he having offered up. Offered one sacrifice for sin for all time. That's Christ. God killed those animals as a picture. Someday there's going to be a a Savior come. Just a picture. Sin will ultimately be covered for. There's going to be a final sacrifice. that that No more sacrifices are, are needed. Now let me just remind you. Let me remind you that. We need, we need this sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. But you know what? Let me ask a question. Is, is sin, is Christ atonement enough? Or do we make people pay for their own sins? Christ told us stories about And he warned about this. But let me read you one verse here just by way of application. In Matthew chapter 6. In the Lord's Prayer, remember what he said. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We, we cover other people's sins. Because the greater sin, the greater thing that we have sinned, Has been covered. We can cover other people's sins. We we can forgive those sins. This is a necessary principle. Going into a sinful world. Just the idea of forgiveness. A covering for sin. That we have an environment. Of forgiving sin. Freeing people. Based upon the atonement of Jesus Christ. One more principle. One more principle. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve needed to be protected, protected by from their own selves. Look at this, verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Not in the practical sense. God knows good and evil by his omniscience in a holy sense. Adam and Eve had to rebel against God to know that good and evil. That he might, now here's the danger here. He's going to stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life. He took from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now he's going to take from the tree of life. That's a danger. If he dies or if he takes from the tree of life, he will live in his sinful state for all eternity. Danger. We do not want that. Live our entire lives in sinfulness. He says, eat and live forever. So he drove him out, verse 23 and 24. Danger there. And and there's a sense in verse 24, he says he had to drive them out. There's a sense in Adam and Eve, they didn't want to go. They they liked it best in the Garden of Eden. They didn't want to go out there. And again, God takes the initiative. And he does what needs to be done here. Not letting them eat from the tree of life, the tree of life is it prevents decay and, and helps them to to live or creates life in them somehow it 's a blessing that we 'll see in the new heaven and the new earth and if Adam and Eve would eat from that in their sinful condition, they would live forever in that sinful condition, and that 's not good, so he places a cherubim a cherubim A couple of angels there at the east of Eden because he had he had thrown them out in that direction east of Eden. And so he puts these cherubim. Now, if you remember back, Satan was a cherub. That was one of that was his job. In fact, it sounds like he was the head cherub. He was the most beautiful, exalted one of the cherubs. And he thought he could win over God. And so he had sin pride in his own heart. Cherubs were uh, overseeing the throne of God. They were uh, uh, over the ark, they were over the holy of holies in the tabernacle. And and this one had a sword. These had a sword waving back and forth every which way. Uh, probably as a deterrent. We would not know why would they would need that. Maybe just a uh intimidation factor because there's going to be a long time before the flood before that was taken away before the Garden of Eden was destroyed. And so there's going to be people that maybe try to get into this tree of life. In fact, in fact, that might have been Adam. Can you imagine when it came time for Eve to die? He's thinking, I, I know. I know there's a tree. I love my wife so much. I'm going, to, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get that. Adam needed to be protected from his own self. And God was doing that as children. Children need to be protected sometimes. And we have to protect them. Don't run out in the street. Don't don't do this and don't do that. Because we know better. We know better than the children. Folks, we live a life of faith in God because He knows better. He protects us. And again, it reminds me of the Matthew passage. Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer God told us to pray. A lot of the same principles in this prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. I know my own heart, Lord and i'm coming to you lord don't don't allow me to slip don't allow me i know my sinfulness and i can easily slip back into that sinful environment and he says lord protect me god is protecting adam and and adam had to trust adam had to believe in god and say oh lord you're doing right. I, I don't want that. I love the Garden of Eden, and I, I would want to stay in there. I would love to eat from the tree of, of life, but God knows best. God knows best. Adam had hope. He trusted God to cover his own sinfulness, a, an atonement to come, and forgiveness of sin. And there's just protection protection from his own self, from his own sinfulness. Those are the things that we need, folks. Those are basic, very basic things, but we need those things. The sin has its effect on our world. It breaks every relationship. It affects our work. It affects our relationship with God. and produces a, an environment of death, an environment of death. It produces a very shallow life, folks, very shallow life. Without, without God in our life, it's very shallow. Sin produces this environment, produces this environment. That if we're not careful, we slip into that environment and sin takes control. And it's just a downward spiral. A downward spiral to hopelessness, despair, despondency. And we just kind of give up on life. And folks, many people that you'll find in the world, they're going to be like that. We have hope. We have hope. We have tools to to even cope within that environment of sin. We have a hope. That will not die. We have a covering, atonement for sin. That we can forgive others. We have a, a, a protection. We know God's going God's to bring me to the end. That's what Adam and Eve needed. That's what the Lord provided. Folks, it's all wrapped up in one person. And that is Christ. We need Christ. He is our hope. He is our atonement. He's our our future. He's our protection. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your kindness to us. We thank You for Your Word. I I pray, Father, that You would allow these things to sink deep into our life. Help us to to have a hope that's lived out in our lives so much so that people say, where did You get that hope? May they see Your protection over our life. Our desire for righteousness and to be cleansed from our sinfulness. Lord, we thank you for your work in our life. If you don't take the initiative, Lord, then we're doomed. Sin will have its way. We will be, we will be in a sinful environment our, our whole life. But Lord, thank you for taking the initiative in our lives. Thank you for new life in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.